0: events media and welcome back to another edition of the rutgers rant i'm joined as always james kratz keith Sargent, and i love the way i take a week off i'm floating out a little on a raft on a raft in maine and you know what apparently i could have just floated off into oblivion and you guys wouldn't care you just you Hague me sergeant i'm in charge now we don't need politi anymore it's great just like that bam i'm done i mean i'm one,
1: one episode off and i'm done well, who invited you back? That, that's my question. How have
0: you <laughs> get back? To it. I love it. That's a great thing. Yeah, uh, that's what my family was asking too. Whoa, hello. Hey, how, how are you guys doing? Cratch, what did I miss? Everything good? You You have a good time? Good summer so far with you know camp, getting heating up, fun stuff going on.
2: Yeah, got uh we got a quarterback controversy wow. since you uh, left. Yeah.
0: I saw that. That is interesting. And you know, this is going to be funny. Like we talked a lot about our, our project tech service and for $5 a month. And, and my, my thought about what that would be, would be for the diehards who want to get the information first, but I'm I was actually in Maine. I was, so I'm unplugged a little bit and I'm learning about stuff that's happening through this tech service. So I, I think, you know, it kind of illustrates just that you don't have to be like some, you know, foaming at the mouth diehard to appreciate what's going on it was just nice to have okay here's something big There's a quarterback controversy and it's getting texted me on my phone so uh, i encourage all you guys to sign up again use the po- code podcast and uh and join us for what is becoming a very, fun little feature
2: very quick steve we actually have a special landing spot if you're interested in subscribing oh, wow okay. very simple nj.com slash text simple go. as that
0: that's go ahead there Head there. Uh, all right, so let's dive right back in because uh, you know I I am kind of I'm, I'm of two minds here with the with the quarterback controversy. Uh, and my first one, as I'm looking at it from thirty thousand feet, is that it's really not a great sign, you know. <laughs> and I mean that sincerely. Like, like if if Carter if McCl- McClain Carter can come in, you know, in April, grab this playbook, and already you know that that it's kind of seemed like a dead even heat. That doesn't speak well for you know, what's happened with, with our And I wonder if this is, if we're overlooking the bigger picture here in that, you know, it's not which guy's going to win it. It's that, Oh boy, we're entering another season where Rutgers doesn't have a big 10 passer. Is that, is that a big concern guys?
2: I think so. I think it's a, it's a big concern. I mean, this is sort of a pivotal season for Rutgers, and you know, and look, it's kind of difficult to, to draw too much because we've only seen so much. Um, what we do know is basically. Art was taking all the first-team snaps, or basically the first half of training camp, I mean, give or take one or two practices. They had the open you know, fan appreciation day practice. Carter looked really good at, with the second-team offense against the second-team defense, and they've started to give him first-team reps since then, and we've gotten to a point where they had a second scrimmage last week, which is not open to the media, where it was 50-50 from everything right. you know, we've right. told. So now we're in this kind of this time frame. Today we're taping this on Monday the 19th. Ash has announced his starting quarterbacks in his first three years, I think the 21st, wow. the 22nd, and the 24th. So we're now – this is the week. they got a mock game Friday. Friday will be a week before the season opener. I would guess that they're going to have – I mean, I would assume they're not going to go to a mock game without knowing, having told someone they're the starting quarterback. I think the big question is, is Ash going to try to play this thing coy and keep UMass guessing up until kickoff? Um, I tend to think not because he was asked on Thursday, would you play both of them in the UMass game and kind of extend the competition? And he didn't take that opportunity to do the whole, you know, we could do what, we'll see, you know. Like he didn't try to play the game. So – I I, ha- I had it at fifty two forty eight. Art would be the start over Carter. I think it's 50-50. I think yeah. there's there are arguments to be made on both sides. I think yeah. the entire fan base wants Carter because they saw the kid throw a couple of deep passes in the fan appreciation day, and they saw Art throwing 18 picks last year. Right. That's
0: the, the thing that strikes me odd, and sorry you, you can answer this, and we talked about this a lot, is that why wouldn't, I guess, you know, why wouldn't they use both quarterbacks against UMass? Why wouldn't they use both quarterbacks against Iowa? It seems to me you really need to have a starting quarterback against Boston College because that's the game the season hinges on. You should beat UMass. You're probably not going to beat Iowa. Give them both a chance. I mean, do you agree with that?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what I think. And I mean, who knows what, you know, Keith Sargent, Steeply, or James Crafts knows, right? I mean, we're, we're just, uh, three-chamo sports writers. But that being said, I asked Jerry Donardo, Di- who actually coached uh, football, who's like a respected Big Ten a- analyst, and that's what he says they should do. I mean, he yeah, basically yeah. said that you can't really get a good judge of a quarterback competition, a true one, in training camp because guess what, guys? You're not hitting the quarterback. So when you're not hitting the quarterback, you know, stands the reason that Arsikowski or McLean Carter, for that matter, are, are going to be comfortable. You know, they're, they're, you know they're, they're going to be able to read the defense better. And then what happens to week one? Guess what? All of a sudden teams start, start blitzing. And I kind of imagine that considering the question marks that Rutgers has with this offensive line, teams are going to be sending some pressure. So if, if I was Chris Ash, you, you know that, you know, unless something totally wacky happens, Rutgers has so much more talent than UMass. They should win that game going away. I'd use week one as, as, you know, a competition. Whoever plays best in week one. And by that I mean, you know, give Stokowski the first two series, bring him uh, McLean Carter for series three, and then you know, judge it from that.
0: Right. Right. And one and one guy, and if one guy really struggles or one guy really does well, and I guess this is another point that you know the fans are watching him against the second team defense, which I mean, on paper, certainly. You know, I haven't seen as much as you guys, so you, you speak to this more. is is a lot not is a lot inferior to the first team defense, obviously at Rutgers. So what they're seeing, you know, for what they've seen and what got them excited really is him picking on some kids who shouldn't be out
2: there. Correct. And, and Sarge, correct me if I'm wrong. From what we've seen, whether it be the open practice, practice open the media, or the fan appreciation day, I don't think we've seen Art lead the second team offense against the second team defense. So, yeah. it's
0: interesting. You know, for yeah.
2: all I know, I mean, if Art's doing that in practice, Art could be throwing the ball all over the place. We know that he had a touchdown dropped on him in the red zone, we were told by a few sources in the scrimmage last week. So, it's an incomplete picture that we have. Um, I think it's 50-50. And, and look, I think, I've written this, and I know lot of people don't like it. If you want to start Carter and say you've got to win now, it's year four, that's fine, go to a bowl game.
0: Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't
2: start Carter to win four games and then say, hey, significant improvement, like go to a bowl game. I totally agree. Run the yeah. kid in. He's a, he, a fifth-year senior. He's started in the Big 12. All right, great. Go to a bowl game, guys.
0: And the, reason is, and the reason is because at the end of it, you're in the same situation. So if you start playing Carter and you win four games – you know, I get it that Art's still in the program, but you still don't have a quarterback for 2020. You know, you're still, you're still in the same situation. So, I mean, I, I follow you completely. I know fans, like uh, a couple of, uh, on Twitter getting arguments about, well, look what Oklahoma does. Well, Oklahoma.
2: Well, I'll say one thing real quick. World. Real quick. Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, I believe, they were both on campus for a year. Yes. Before they started. So I'm gonna guess that the Sooner coaching staff did a little bit of development with okay. those guys. Okay. Jalen Hurts is a little different. Yep. But Mayfield and Murray transferred in. I think Mayfield had to sit out. I think Murray was kind of a backup for a year. They they did a little bit of lifting. But
0: a program there. like a program like Ruck, right, the point being a program like Rutgers, it's best, best path is developing these kids, and recruiting them, developing them, and getting to a point where we have a three-year player. And that's that's what they're trying to do with Art, and they fail. To, you know, they still haven't been able to do that. Uh, Sarge, gun to your head, who is the starter that you met?
1: Sikowski. I'm, I'm still, yeah. you know, I'm a little bit more 52. I say 52, 48 the other day. I'll stick by that. Um, you know, it goes back to, I haven't heard what John McNulty's take is. You know, everything that we've kind of right. uh, uh you know, heard from him so far. He kind of leads you to believe that he's still, you know, in the art camp. Um, I'm still, I think when, when, when the jury comes back, I think it's going to be art. Wow.
0: Well, I guess we'll find out soon enough. All right. So uh, the big story though, in my mind, the one that when, when it, when it hit while I was uh, sitting there, you know, in my inner tube uh, on this beautiful lake in Maine, trying not to pay attention uh, (laughs) was the ticket story that you did. I'm going to call it a Sarge bomb (laughs) in the Woj bomb spirit. Um, And I don't think it got enough attention, I really don't, because I read it and my first reaction was just wow at the numbers, you know, to see not just the, you know, year-to-year decline in season ticket counts, and I'll have Sarge give the details here in a minute, but, um, you know, but just over the overall decline from when the Big Ten started, and some of that's natural, I get it, but also, you know, the broader implication of what this means for the program. You know, <laughs> the, yeah. the millions of dollars that you're going to lose now because the, the season ticket base is eroding. And now we are seeing just what this, this, you know, the Ash era so far, what the, the seven and 29, whatever the record is, has done to the business of Rutgers Sports. And it's really bad. <laughs> I think that's, that's an understatement. Uh, Sarge, you mean, just give us some, some basic yeah. details and, and the broader perspective.
1: Yeah, the basic details would we'll be uh, quick with this is their, their season ticket base is down to 16,000 and change. Uh, mm-hmm. keep in mind, they started at 31,000, uh, in, in 2015. That was while Kyle Flood was still the, the head coach when Chris Ash arrived. Um, it went down from 31 to 28 in year one, 28,000. Um, and it's gone down every year since then. Um, now they're down to 16, which is a huge, it's almost a 50% uh, drop. Yeah. Um, which is not good. If you look at the numbers within the numbers, uh the actual attendance at games, everyone has always scoffed at the the announced attendance. Well, you have every reason to scoff because you know, like the Northwestern game had had, had just over twenty thousand. Some of these games that, that that you know are are you know in 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 the 18, nineteen thousand range. We're talking about a stadium that has a fifty four thousand seat capacity, right? I mean, it's right. just. Yeah. The, the numbers are, are are mind-boggling it you know speaks to just the general um you know disinterest i guess right now with the football program speaks to i guess in some respects why would you be a season ticket holder when you can get tickets over on stub hub or the secondary market sure and not, and not pay, pay that pay.
0: Seat, that seat donation exactly yeah.
1: <laughs> and then you touch on the seat uh, donation um the the bigger picture um in why you know and it's something that we'll, we'll explore down the line but yeah, I was told by by a few uh, insiders after my story ran that we were just scratching at the surface of of what it means from a financial standpoint. You know, obviously, and I reported in within the story. If you just look at you know the ticket line on on on, on Rutgers fiscal year report to go from um, thirteen million as a high down to eleven and down to eight point four in the most recent year that was twenty seventeen. Um, you know, th- that's one thing. You know, so everyone anticipates a drop. Maybe it goes down to, you know, as low as $6 million figure, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if it goes down to uh, $6 million, so you're talking maybe, a, you know, almost a $2 million loss in ticket revenue. Then you're talking about parking and concessions, which is probably another million. <laughs> so then you're talking about another big, big aspect. You mentioned the seat gifts. A lot of their fundraising, it was way more so in the Julie Herman era, but, even still now, especially their operational, uh, costs, a lot of it is tied to, to those seat gifts. And what we're talking about there is you buy a season ticket and depending on what section, it could be as high as $100 per, per seat, you know, as low as I think $25 uh, dollars per seat uh, in the upper corners of the upper deck. But every seat, every season ticket has a seat gift that is fundraising money that Rutgers has lost. So we could be talking the, the way it was estimated to me, you could be talking you know, $4, $5, 6000000 million just in, you know, in this past year alone, that's a huge loss.
0: Right. And for a program that's grappling with paying a $7 million buyout for the head coach, if it goes sour. I guess, Kratz, you know, thinking along those lines, this seems like the first loss of the year for Chris Ash. A head coach is, you know, he's not the guy selling tickets, but he is the guy selling tickets. You know, you know, <laughs> it's a trend that can't continue. I mean, it's no,
2: I mean, he's he doesn't sell tickets, but he's responsible for creating the product that sells right. the tickets. And let's, we're, we're not hiding any secrets here. There's not a lot of buzz about this football team. Right.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: There's not a lot of excitement. There's not a lot of juice. It's, 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 it's diehards. It's friends and family at this point.
1: Well, you know, well we I don't think any. I, I mean, we were at the, uh, the fan appreciation day, Cratch. What, what do you think the number was? If you're going to be totally fair. And I think a couple of Rutgers insiders, when, when they asked me, I, I said, maybe 1500 and they're like, there there is not 1500. Maybe there was probably less than a thousand, but what, what, what do you think that number was Kratch, for fan appreciation oh. day? A beautiful day. Couldn't it be better weather. It was well advertised. What do you think that number was?
2: I wrote 450. I would be willing to round it up to like five or 600, um, I, then that was the number I bounced off some people who were there, and it, they said that sounded about right. You know, obviously there could have been people hiding, you know, in, in the shade on the other side of the stadium. I mean, everyone was confined confined to the far at the side of the stadium opposite the press box. So, yeah, I just think it, it's not only that, but it's like, and, you know, I was thinking about this, you know, I had the radio on the other day. You know, Army football is right down the road, and – they're winning 10 games every year and they're advertising on WFAN. You know, I think I've been, I talked to a power five coach who said he thinks temple could win 10 games this year with all the talent that Matt rule and and Jeff Collins have kind of stacked up there. You know, Syracuse is exciting. You know, it's not as close, but my point is there's other college football options in the area. If people just want to go to a game that are maybe more exciting and kind of maybe more prominent than, than Rutgers at this point. So uh, they need to get that buzz back, and obviously winning is the perfect way to do it. Um, but I just look at this team, and I just don't share the optimism some fans have that, th- that a big bounce back is coming.
0: And I think, you know, it's funny. This is the other thing I listened when I listened to your guys' podcast that jumped out at me was, was were actually five words that you said during the podcast, Cratch, when you said that the offensive line is bad. Well, your direct was a direct quote, and I've listened to it. I'm like, you know that that's like a pack that's like a pack up the moving vans quote. I mean, if the offensive line's bad, then there's really no hope for either quarterback, and you can't really build a running game. You can't. You're not going to upset a, a, a you know a, a high level Big Ten team. Has it gotten better since in the, in the last few days? I mean, I haven't watched a lot of it, but is there anything that you know? there's anything that could that could change that uh, that would make it that would give you some hope?
2: I mean, Ash said he thought the line was better in the scrimmage that we didn't watch last week, okay. and he also made a comment that you know the open practice was actually one of the offense's worst days of right. the summer. Okay. That being said, I haven't been impressed by the offensive line since the spring. Right. So it was a problem
0: then. Yeah.
2: It was a problem last year. It, Jonah Jackson left, and I still think it's a problem. Right. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure that I'm sure maybe I caught him on a bad day. The one day I happened happen to see them in full and maybe that's they're not going to be as poor as they were um that day but i don't look at that unit i don't see a dominant unit by any stretch of the imagination and you're right the two quarterbacks they need the protection and if you want to be this power run game you got to move bodies up front and i don't see Rutgers moving by and they're going to play some big boys some big time pass rushers this year right um some very stout defensive lines and i just don't see how they're going to really be a dominant team in the trenches, which is what you need to be in the Big Ten.
1: So let me just add one thing about the offensive line with with regards to – I think there's a feeling inside the program that Raekwon O'Neal, even though he's a first-year starter in the Big Ten, there's a feeling inside the program that he's going to be pretty good. Over on the right side of the offensive of line, there's not that same feeling with Kamal Seymour. Even though he started two years, he's heading into his third year. There's not that same confidence level. Um, I think you know we've seen what he is on the football field. He's had his struggles the last couple of years. The point I'm trying to make is, what are the two differences between the two quarterbacks? One is lefty, one is righty. So if McLean uh, Carter was to wow. start, yeah. uh, Kamal Seymour would be protecting his blind side. Crash. I'm. I, I'm just curious. Do so you think that will play in you know in any way in the quarterback decision? The fact that you know maybe there is a weaker offensive lineman protecting the, the blind side of a lefty quarterback.
2: It could. Although you know from my time in the NFL, I think nowadays a lot of coaches we kind of think of left tackle being the premier spot and right tackle being you know the not as premier spot because most quarterbacks are right handed. But nowadays you know you have elite pass rushes on both sides. So And both guys, so I don't really know if the blind side is, is as big of a factor in today's game as it maybe was 10, 15 years ago. I certainly don't think it's necessarily a big enough factor that you're going to decide who's going to play quarterback because I would think that the quarterbacks on their own merit would determine who you're picking or if you're going to play both of them because it's that close. I don't think they're going to get that granular with a. Uh, With this decision, but hey, I think you have to consider it because you have to flip the whole scheme, you know, if you have a a left handed quarterback, and obviously you're going to have a different, you know, blindside protector. Um, I think it's something you have to, they have to talk about, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be the deal breaker for Carter either way.
0: Yeah, it's more than, I yeah, remember, it's more than, just the, more than just the blocking. It's everything. It's a great point. It's just, and this is one more thing to think about with an offense that uh, already has so much uncertainty. So that's a great point, Sarge. All right, I thought we would have some fun here. Uh, we're getting close to the season now. People, you know, are focused in on Rutgers and what Rutgers is doing, and I certainly understand that. But this would, I thought this would be a good opportunity for us to uh, look at the schedule and go, go team by team, break it down. Next week, just to tease you uh, loyal listeners, we will do our Mike and the Mad Dog. That's a win, Mike. That's a win. That's a win uh, <laughs> through the schedule. Uh, but for, before we get to that, I thought it would be a good idea to go through each team and give us a little uh, something that's going on this summer, some facts about the team in little 30 seconds uh, or less intervals. So let's do it, guys. All right? We're going to start with uh, you, Cratch, UMass, go.
2: So they have a three-man quarterback battle, two of them in New Jersey, guys. Lawrenceville's Randall West, who I named Star Ledger Prep Player of the Year in 2012. Dating yourself. And pre- yes, dating myself. <laughs> Promise Catholic's Andrew Brito, who was at a, uh, won a state title at PC in his only year as a starter, I believe, was a senior, was at a junior college in California last year, transferred into UMass. He's in the mix. Michael Curtis is the incumbent starter. Um, He's also in that mix. He started for UMass a couple games last year. They had a really good offense last year. Andy Isbell was a second-round pick, you know, one of the be- of All-American wide receiver there. But they also gave up a lot of points, and that's why I come to my second little factoid. They've lost every road opener they've played since they joined F- the FBS level. Wow. Average margin of defeat, 26 points.
0: Well, there you go. All right. Iowa, Sarge, Go.
1: Yeah,
2: the storyline is obviously going to be Chris Ash's
1: homecoming. He grew up in Atumwa, Iowa, which I know, Steve. That's, that might be your favorite name for any any city anywhere in America. Absolutely. I did some digging. Um, it's about an hour and forty minutes from from the University of, of Iowa's Kinnick Stadium. Road trip. Yeah, it sounds like a road trip. We might go to the hometown of Chris Ash, <laughs> either that or maybe go to the Field of Dreams. Um, but also Atumwa. The current population of 24,500 uh, uh, is about 10,000 more than the Rutgers season ticket oh, base right no. now.
0: Ouch. <laughs> That's, oh
1: so, so on the field, uh, Iowa is led by an all-Big Ten caliber quarterback, Nate Stanley, and uh, are widely pre- uh, predicted to finish no worse than in, in the top three to West Division this season.
0: All right. Boston College is me. Now we all know this is the pivotal game. We've talked about it ad nauseum. We all know that Anthony Brown is a top level ACC quarterback and experienced passer. Uh, When we saw what happened to Boston College, when he got hurt, the team, the team struggled a little bit without him, but here's something I did not know. BC lost four of its top five receivers, a group that encountered for 102 receptions, 1,479 yards and nine touchdowns. In contrast, Rutgers' entire passing offense last year was 171 receptions, 1,586 yards, and five TDs. So Boston College essentially has lost the entire production of the Rutgers offense uh, in the offseason. Will they be able to replace it? I mean, I think that's going to be a very a big question for Boston College. And maybe if you're looking reason for hope for that game, that might be one. All right, Michigan, Cratch.
2: So Michael Duan for. Uh, listeners might be familiar with the name. He played at Scotch Plains Fanwood with with Rashawn Gary, who I think everyone knows. Um, Gary went to Primus Catholic. Dwum4 went to DePaul. When he got to Michigan, I think there was kind of a perception that, you know, he was sort of like, you know, Rashawn Gary's buddy, and and maybe they brought him in, you know, to help kind of land Gary. Um, And you think about all the Jersey kids who have gone to Michigan in recent years and really not had a lot of success on the field. Dwumfor has developed into, you know, a – a potential all-Big Ten caliber defensive tackle. This could be a really big breakout year for him after Gary and a bunch of other guys on that defense graduated. Um, the other thing I think is key, Jim Harbaugh at Michigan is 2-7 and seven against Notre Dame, Michigan State, and Ohio State. All three of those teams are on the schedule this year. All three of those games are at home. This is the year Michigan has to make its move and win the Big Ten. If they don't do it now... You have to wonder if they're ever going to do it again. And I know it sounds kind of daunting and, uh, you know, dramatic, but, I mean, if Jim Harbaugh can't get it done, who's going to get it done?
1: Very true. Maryland, sorry. Yeah. Maryland's led by a new coach. Michael Ockley came over after a tumultuous 2018 season. He had some uh, recent su- success as Alabama's play caller. Didn't really have a whole lot of success as a head coach over New Mexico. He's considered a strong recruiter, but uh, that probably won't come into play right away. He has some talent to work with. But let's face it, this is a must-win for Rutgers. You know, every year that they they, they go, they play in the Big Ten. You're going to look at the the bottom of the East Division. You're going to look at Indiana, Maryland. You know, this is a game that they're going to have to win. comes right at the beginning of October. Um, You know, Rutgers has had some success against Maryland the last couple years. Uh, They lost a year ago, but they won two of the four games uh, uh, before that since they joined uh, the Big Ten together in 2014.
0: All right. That leads to Indiana, which is me, and here's a headline Rutgers fans will like from the Indianapolis Star. Indiana's football quarterback competition still has no winner, and time is running out. Time is running out. Who knew? Uh, that's the good news. The bad news, of course, one of the three, Redshirt, junior, Peyton Ramsey, is already on pace to set most of the relevant passing records for the school. So Indiana is looking for an upgrade, not a, con- not a competent passer, which is a vastly different situation, as we know, from the Scarlet Knights. One other point to make, that I've already made a dinner reservation at St. Elmo for 7 o'clock on the night of the game. And if there's a lightning storm, I'm just going to run outside holding up a steel metal pole and hope it strikes me. Um, (laughs) On that note, Minnesota, crash!
2: So uh, a familiar face for Rutgers fans, Jim Panagos, former defensive line coach. He's now the defensive line coach on P.J. Flex staff in Minnesota, and he's drawn rave reviews so far out of Minneapolis. Carter Coughlin, who's their star defensive end, maybe the best pass rusher, in the conference, uh, love the guy, talked, to, talked my ear off in Chicago about how great Panagos has been for the position group. Now, Minnesota has 16 starters back. They finished last year strong, went 7-6, won a bowl game, beat Wisconsin, got Paul Bunyan's axe back. This is the sleeper candidate to win the Big Ten West. Don't think they're going to do it. I think the schedule's too difficult on the back end, but if someone's going to come out of nowhere like Northwestern a year ago, I think it's going to be the Gophers.
0: All right, Liberty. Why are they playing Liberty?
1: Star, Liberty. <laughs> so Liberty is based in Lynchburg, Virginia. It's best known as the school uh, presided by, by evangelist Jerry Fall, Jr. Uh, Jerry Fallwell Jr. A uh, little known, uh, did you know, on the day that this game was announced in May 2017, Donald Trump was actually speaking at the school's commencement ceremony.
0: Wait, speaking at Rutgers he did not, I'm Hugh. kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs>
2: uh, he didn't know no, how great would it be I... if Trump comes to the game.
1: Oh, my God. Shoot me. <laughs> All right.
2: So, so Liberty is led by Hugh
1: Freeze. He had a lot of success on the field at Ole Miss, but he left the program in disarray as a result of a multi-year NCAA punishment. He was hired last December. He has already anointed a quarterback named Buckshot Calvin.
2: That's not a real name. God,
1: Buckshot is, is, is his, I guess, his apparent nickname, but on NJ.com, you know, throughout the season, it, his name will be Buckshot. <laughs> uh, He's th- for 3,000 yards, 21 touchdowns for a 6-16, six six defied expectations a year ago. But uh, by the time that Rutgers actually faces him, uh, we could see a different quarterback. Auburn transfer Malik willis very talented. He, he applied for an NCAA waiver. Uh, the, 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 uh, there has been no word on whether or not uh, it, that's been approved. But come October, this game could be a, a sneaky, dangerous game. I know Crouch has already predicted Rutgers to lose this game.
0: All right, Illinois, I've got them. And, and this is like the mirror image program, obviously, for Rutgers in the uh, Big Ten West. A pivotal year for Lovey Smith. And just like Rutgers, wouldn't you know it, The the Illinois, excuse me, Illini unveiled a new locker room and uh, another sign that the the bottom feeders in the Big Ten know that the one thing they can do is throw money at a problem. It's also interesting (laughs) that the Illini do not have a sure thing at quarterback either, but grad transfer Brandon Peters out of Michigan looks like the guy. And, of course, that'll be settled long before the Scarlet Knights and the Illini play. All right, Ohio State, Cratch.
2: Everyone knows Justin Fields, highly Touted transfer from Georgia's starting quarterback, Montgomery High is Chris Chuganoff, who started his career at West Virginia, then went to Ohio State last year as a grad transfer with two years to play. Played a little mop-up duty against Rutgers at the Horseshoe. He's probably in the mix to be the backup quarterback competing with Gunnar Hoke, who transferred him to Kentucky. So might get to see a Jersey guy on the field at SHI Stadium late in the season. And if something were to happen in their fields, Chuganoff could be in line to be the Buckeyes starter because he's the only guy in their quarterback room who has been in Ohio State before this offseason. season. The
0: shame is, name is not Buckshot Chuganoff. who so would be really good. All right, Michigan State, we have a trade. We have a trade. We have decided to trade. Sorry, just trading Michigan State to Cratch because – Cratch in his top 25, which you could have read on nj.com is uh, he's really high in Michigan State, so Cratch, tell us why Michigan State go all
2: right, seven and six last year offense was abysmal. We all saw it we, you know Sarge we were out there in East Lansing for the end of the season, but here's the thing. they bring back nine offensive starters. Brian Lewerke, the quarterback's healthy. I think they're going to be better on offense. Their defense is going to be elite lead again with eight starters back. They lost six games last year. Three of those losses were by a field goal or less. The other three losses were one score games in the fourth quarter. I just think that this is a team that's going to bounce back in a big way and a Mark D'Antonio is 30-13 and 13 in the month of November. They've got a pretty soft November with Rutgers, Maryland, Illinois, and the big one, Michigan, the game that I think is probably going to decide the Big Ten East.
0: All right, Penn State, finally, it's mine. And this is another, I wish it was counting, but another Big Ten program with an unsettled quarterback situation. Uh, Redskirt's Sean Clifford entered camp as the favorite for the job, but Jane Franklin loves the upside of freshman Will Fry. So this, again, will be long settled before it matters for Rutgers. Uh, but I think it's fair to dial down the expectations. In Happy Valley, although uh, by all indications it looks like that Franklin finally has what might be his best collection of skill players, so we'll see if that matters. All right, that's our rundown. Good job, guys. I'm glad we did that. That was fun. Nice shot. I feel like I learned something from you, especially about Buckshot Shuganoff, my new favorite player. I don't care if it's two people. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's go straight into re- straight into reader mail and. Uh, You know, uh, we do this every week. It's become a new feature. We really enjoy it. We're getting questions now from anyone who's involved in our Rutgers Insider Program. Uh, You text us uh, the day of the podcast, and we'll do our best to answer them. And we got about 10 this week that were excellent questions. So uh, I'm going to dive right in, and, uh, you know, let you guys see what you think. But uh, the first one, I think we're going to get this question a lot, so we might as well address it right now. If there is a coaching change this year, has the athletic and football program done enough from a talent, facilities, and culture standpoint to make this a desirable destination? And would we be able to open up the wall a bit? I know this is an if if question, Sarge, but it's, it's going to be an issue if the team goes sideways. I mean, what do you think?
1: So it's a little premature, obviously. Um, I will say this, that just based on precedent, Pat Hobbs has opened up the the wallet to to hire the baseball coach uh, Steve Owens, um, who um, I guess we're still crunching the numbers, but I believe he's certainly going to be in the top uh, half of, of, of the Big Ten in salary. Uh, same thing with men's soccer; um, he he has been willing to, to to spend on on coaching staffs. As far as it being a desirable job, I I will say this: okay, there has been some past success. Certainly in the mid 2000s of, 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 of Rutgers turned in the corner being a perennial bowl team are they ever going to win the big Ten east? Um, other people can can, can argue that uh, but at, at Rutgers I, I I think there's there's a certainly a measurement where you can actually go the Bulls every year and the fan base for the most part will be happy with that and I think that's attainable I think that's one of the reasons why it could be a desirable job just from you know the outside looking in and I'll say the, the third thing is Pat Hobbs has, has proven to be loyal a lot of the entire fan base was looking to the fire uh for records to fire Chris Ash a year ago Pat Hobbs said he this is my guy he didn't rush the judgment some people you know still question that move but from a just a sheer coaching, you know, outside perspective within the coaching fraternity, I'm sure that's going to be perceived as a, as a good thing. Cratch, anything to add?
2: I just think that you got to be worried if you get to this point, if that's the situation, you know, this whole idea of, oh, you're just going to go spend big bucks and and get a coach that's worth, you know, whatever you're going to pay. I just think if you look at the the top 25, the top 30 coaching salaries in college football, you know, forget about, you know, the guy that the hardball is, you know, the guy's the top, you know, Saban, Dabo and all that. It's a lot of coaches who – built a program, had success, had interest from outside schools, and then their school kind of scrounged up the money, you know, with all the energy and support that the winning has brought to kind of pay him and, and keep them happy and keep them in place. I just think it's a better route to get a guy like Jeff Brom and to be able to pay him what you need to pay him to keep him when Louisville comes knocking two or three years in rather than to say, okay, we're just going to go spend four million dollars a year because I think at that point you end up you're going to end up just overpaying to get some guy who maybe isn't the best fit or maybe isn't worth that amount of money. I will
0: say just to, just one last point. I will say it's going to be if it does happen, it's going to be a fascinating few weeks in Piscataway and New Brunswick for that matter because they've never had Rucker This is Rutgers is hello, welcome to big you know, big time athletics. When you're writing a check for what well, it'll be about ten million dollars, start unless I'm wrong, seven and a half million for Ash plus the coaching staff and then coming back and writing a check for $12 million or committing $12 million to your next coach or more, it's going to be fascinating. All right, next question. Uh, John McNulty was given a pass. How ironic last year because of the goodwill he earned. From his first in at Rutgers, uh, besides being multiple, what offensive system do you truly see them running, given the strength being three to four Big Ten quality running backs, not as much depth as tight ends, as you would like to see, and still a bunch of wide receivers still improving? And this is a, this is a really fascinating one, guys, because I love uh, just kind of the story out of the summer that, all right, well, now we're going to be more spread style again. And it's just like just a constant shift in philosophies. And it's really a valid – Valid point. I mean, what what is the system going to be? Is there going to be a system? What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a spread, and by, by, by that, I think there's there's a lot of different versions of a of a spread. I think you know most, most fans are familiar with the RPO stuff, the gun run, where a quarterback is faking to the to, to the to the. Um, to the running back and has, a, has an option of running the ball. There will be some of that. We've seen that. I'm not divulging any secrets. We've seen it on, on the Big right. Ten Network. We've seen it, you know, on, on social media. Wow. There will be some of that. But I think more. Uh, I think they're not going to be reinventing the wheel. If it is Sikowski wins the job, and I got news for people, McLean Carter is more of a pro uh, pro style. You know, pocket quarterback than, than he is a dual threat. So I, I think they're going to try to take advantage of, of both of those guys and, and and make keep them as pocket quarterbacks. Chris Ash has talked about that Sikowski has a little bit more mobility than people realize. Maybe he could run the ball a little bit more, but they're going to rely on the strength. The, the strength is, are those two running backs, Isaiah Pacheco and Raheem here. The office is going to go through those two guys. They're going to run the ball. Sean McNulty had his, uh, you know, had his brothers. He'd probably be running the ball sixty percent of the time, as long as it was effective. I think that's going to be the bread and butter. They're going to run a spread. And I think they're going to rely on those. Sarge's thoughts
0: is: Do we do we have an offensive identity finally this year, or are we still just make, you know throwing things against the dartboard to see if it works?
2: I don't know if they have an offensive identity, but I think Sarge hit on all the kind of salient points. I think it's going to be a pro style, but it's going to be a little more spread yeah. out. I think the as the question mentioned, you know, the, la- the la- I think the blocking at tight end is going to probably leave a lot to be desired. I think you've got some guys with some potential. Penniston's um, still injured. Who knows when he's going to be on the field. But I just don't know if a- a Lewis and Alimo are-, are ready to be big-time, you know, body movers at this point in their careers. So um, I think you might see Brandon Myers, the walk-on HVAC, kind of fill that lead blocker role a little bit. But I think last year they were able to kind of pack it in a little bit more. I'm not saying that they got great blocking the tight ends, but – they maybe had a little bit more. I think this year they're going to try to have to spread people out a little bit and try to find angles and creases with the run all game. All right. And then to
0: wrap it up, we had five questions, five different questions, all different topics about how you get more people to games. And I think this all comes back to your story, Sarge. People are still talking about it. Uh, you know, we had one question, one read, one of the, the readers were wondering about just the length of games, if the, if the national trend, the fact that that is keeping people away because, I mean, let's face it, you're looking at a four-hour experience and sometimes in these Big Ten games. Uh, Someone wanted to know if you could compare and contrast the amenities from different stadiums compared to to Rutgers where there's a sense that, you know, you're getting a better fan experience in Iowa or Nebraska. And I will say that, For some of those newer stadiums, you're absolutely right. I mean, I haven't seen them all. I I, I don't sit in the stands, but certainly, you know, it's a better (laughs) – you can just see in Nebraska or or certainly Ohio State, some of the bigger stadiums, that that you get more stuff. Uh, And finally, someone else wanted to know how you get students to come to the games. And I think this is, you know, a troubling question because at at one point student attendance was really bad. It got really good when the team got good and it was part of the culture. If it starts slipping the other way, well, that's just another element of what you're losing that doesn't factor into what we're already talking about, uh, season tickets being down. So I'm going to open it up to you guys just to talk in general about getting people to the games. Is there something that Rutgers can do other than winning that it's not doing?
1: Yeah, I will say one thing with regards to the students. Um, you know, I I think it was a probably a a fan from Penn State after my ticket story came out, noted that Penn State actually has sold out more, sold more student tickets. I think they are well over uh, 17,000 than Rutgers has in a season ticket base. And, uh, you know, I I think that fan was trolling, but I'm not uh, pointing that out as a troll. I'm pointing that out as that speaks to the future. You know, it speaks to the reason why. Penn State is able to recruit, and and this uh, sales program is because they, you know, not only do they sell out you know, 100,000 seat, seats now, but you know they, you know, they're poised for, for for future growth when it comes to you know future fans and you know their popularity. Um, you know that is an issue. To your point, as far as. Um, I think I've been to most of the big tenant stadiums. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, you know, it really boils down to the product on the field. One in 11, I think is the biggest you know, reason for, for, for their struggles, um, you know, and, and even, you know, two years ago when they had a little bit of success, they won some Big Ten games, four and eight. I don't know if that was enough uh, for, for, for fans to so all of a sudden start buying in and, and coming out of droves. I think, when you know, when, when they start
2: winning on the field, I think, you know, the the attendance will increase. do you have
0: any easy answers to this one, or does is it, is it just matter wins and losses?
2: I think wins and losses plays a big role in it, obviously. I, I think kick. I mean, like, as a media member, I love noon kickoffs, yeah. but I understand why fans don't like them. Uh, I think one thing I, – I think Rutgers probably could be a little bit more – like, for instance, I was, t- I was talking with someone uh, inside Rutgers who said, you know, you know fans at Rutgers complain about parking, but Rutgers probably has, like, more, like, by-the-stadium parking than most schools in the Big Ten. Uh, I, so I think that may be a little bit more, like, you know, kind of push the positive they had. But the one thing I'll say is in terms – and this is not an issue just at Rutgers, but everywhere in college football you're seeing now, the the games are just – one, they're too long. I think they've got to shorten the games. But two, the matchups are just not exciting people. You know, I look at this schedule this year. Like, UMass, okay, maybe there'll be a little bit of buzz. There's not a lot of buzz, you know, but at least UMass is a, is a team in the northeast that might travel well. You know, I think Monmouth next year, you're going to have a little bit of juice. But, you know, you Steve, you, you joked, like, why are they playing Liberty? I mean – I really wasn't without, joking. Like,
0: <laughs> why are they playing Liberty? No, I know. <laughs> I know, but, like, boy, boy, like,
2: like I told people in Rutgers this – it's a, a horrible, like, mistake. I mean, if they had scheduled Army for the 150th anniversary of college football, the place would be sold out, and people would be excited. And, yeah, Army probably would come in and win, but, you know, that's that's life at this point. You know, I, I think that's one of the big things going forward if you're going to have three non-conference games, you know, one of them is going to be a Power 5 team. I think you got to try your best to keep the Power 5 matchups. And, and Rutgers is doing this under Ashton Hobbs. Keep that confined to Temple. I mean, Temple's not a Power 5, but, you know, Temple, Boston College, Syracuse, you know, get Army and Navy back on the schedule. You know, try to play Monmouth. You know, try to play Delaware. You know, maybe schedule Villanova. You know, and, and if, you, if you're going to have to go – out and get sort of a group of five by game, you know, try to get someone that has a little bit of juice. Um, Because I just think it's asking a lot to ask folks to kind of trudge out to Liberty in in late October if the team's not doing well. But if they're playing Army, you know, and you're a little creative and you tell Army, hey, we'll send a couple of buses up and bring as many of the cadets as you can uh, it, suddenly it becomes exciting I think, uh,
0: two, two more Two more points. I think there is a supply-demand problem. The, the fact they expanded the state and there's just so many tickets available that why would you possibly get We talked about it earlier. Why would you get season tickets? You know, and the second one is, and it comes back to a very basic thing, guys, and I've heard this from a ton of fans, you want to feel hope. You want to feel like, all right, you know, it's it's a new Saturday, it's exciting. I'm going. I'm, I'm packing up my car. I've got my tailgate. I'm going to go there. I want I want to feel like I'm going to be able to watch something. It, it's be exciting. That'll be good. They might not win, but we'll be in the game. And I think Rutgers has lost a lot of that over the last three, four, five years, where you know people are just going into this season. With a sense of dread, and that makes it very hard to drag yourself to, to seven football games. So I think that's a big factor in it. Uh, all right, guys, what else we got? Steve,
1: if, you, know, Steve you could have given us that, that hope speech in like the Morgan Freeman.
0: <laughs> <charge-bank>. uh, <laughs> uh, I'm I I here in that. a place called Hope. do it that way. Little bait myself <laughs> here with some politics, not.
1: I will say this, and this might be a little bit too big picture, but yeah, with regards, is it possible, Steve, and y'all, and and is it possible that the Rutgers fan base? is 25,000. I know, you know, they have this, you know, 52,000-seat stadium, Um, you know, and, and, you know, when they were in, in their heyday, they were well over 40,000, and there was a so-called, um, you know, wait, waiting list for season tickets. But you look at stories from the 1960s, you know, 1970s when when they were pretty good, they were generating 25,000 fans. I mean, you look at, like, the attendance back then, you look at now. I know, uh, you know, Rutgers officials like to point out, Five hundred thousand living alumni, but is it possible that uh, their fan base is at a twenty-five thousand fan base? And when they're good, maybe they get up to thirty-five, forty thousand. But right now, you know, is it just possible that their fan base is twenty-five thousand? Entirely possible.
0: I think it could be lower than that. That the die-hard consumer fan base is about what you're seeing now for season tickets, and the fact the team got good and went to the Big Ten, and a lot of casual football fans bought tickets and they've been turned away by what's happened the last few years, and you can't blame them. I think, that, and I think that's part of it. So if you, if you don't have to do the math here to fill that stadium. You need, you, know, you need those 15,000 diehards, and then you need to double that, and you need like 15,000 other people who are just kind of coming along. They're new fans. They're excited. They're, okay, let's try to buy some tickets. And if you get 15,000 students, all right, well, you've got a good crowd. You know? And right now they don't, they're not getting the casual fans. They're losing a lot of their core base. And student attendance is down. And that's three strikes, you know. I mean, that's, that's what we're seeing on Saturdays. Um, all right. So, anybody, anything, any other points to make, guys, before we, before we sign off? Yeah. You're good. I'm I think good. it's a good show. This is, a, this is like the penultimate next week. I think we're going to have a lot of answers. We're going to have most of the answers to our questions. We will do our predictions and previews, which I know people are just, you know, losing sleep over you know, how many games James Cratch is going to pick them to win this year. Uh, and we'll have a really big show before, you know, our last week, before the season opener. Signing off from the Rutgers rant, Steve Politti, Keith Sargent, James Cratch. Thank you so much for listening.